0: So welcome to the r podcast where we explore the makeup of amazing people and topics. I founded the Revitalise Clinic in 2013 to provide you with the team of experts you need to be pain-free, mentally well and physically fit. Contact us for your free consultation with an expert to start your journey online or face-to-face. So the question, why we don't do what is good for us and why we don't eat what we know is good for us, I think is beyond Important. It's a beyond important question. Our inability to do what is best for us is the leading cause of death in the UK when it comes to Western diseases, which are diet and lifestyle related illnesses. Now, this might range from diabetes to even stroke, dementia, even cancer in a lot of situations, and obviously heart disease and um, smoking, for example, lung cancer. And COVID 19 having a 1000% increase or a 10 times percent increase immortality rate for the overweight and the obese it has now struck us as the elephant in the room that no one's really talking about and it is time that we start to discuss the causes of obesity both on a a macro level so a large level and on an individual level but I think the way to start this conversation is to first answer why should we do what's best for us especially when the instant gratification can be so good. The answer to that is it will pay off eventually. You're up, so you're right Dan? And the key word here is eventually because it takes us from instant gratification to delayed gratification. Eating obesogenic foods without a doubt is instant gratification. It pays off right there and then and the more instant, the better which is why we as a nation or in the developed world have moved from the origin of our meals being from the kitchen, maybe taking 20, 30 minutes to prepare and then as well as that historically maybe even a daily half hour food shop to now maybe an hour weekly food shop. So it started in the kitchen to now the restaurant. So people are eating out more previous to the pandemic, previous to the pandemic people eating out far more than we ever have done before. To then the delivery man, we can't even get up to get changed and get dressed nice and looking nice to go to the restaurant. We want the restaurant to come to us. Apps like, ours, sorry, apps like Just Eat really shouldn't have even taken off. You're talking about saving five minutes ordering a meal from the same place you always get your Indian and Chinese meal from anyway, but it's more instant. So what we can see here is the value of that gratification is actually measured also to the speed in which we can get it. So if there is a certain reward after 30 minutes, that reward, that reward or the value of that reward will actually increase in value if we can get it in 10 minutes instead of 30. And that is a little bit of a problem. So now let's take a little bit more of uh, explore the delayed gratification and the benefits and predispositions to the inability to delay gratification. Now, there's an experiment which was conducted in 1970, which you guys, you are right, Frank, which you guys might have heard of. And uh, that is the marshmallow experiment. Now, essentially what these experimenters did is they took a group of individuals and they sat them in a the room. These individuals were kids. So they sat them in the classroom and they sat them in front of a marshmallow. And they said to these individuals, if you wait 15 minutes whilst I leave the room and you don't eat the marshmallow, when I come back, you'll get two. So the reward here is basically if uh, you can delay your gratification, you'll be rewarded more in future, going back to the term eventually. You'll be rewarded eventually. So those children who could resist the instant gratification they would receive when taking the marshmallow, so they could, they could receive another marshmallow, showed the following promises in life. Those who could delay their gratification showed the following promises in life. They, had, they expressed less addictive behaviors. They could say no to drug use, for example, and they could say no to food. They were more likely to have a healthy BMI later down the line. Academically, they were also more successful because if you think of the promise of school or, or university, think of a doctor, for example, a doctor might study until they're 30, 35, to then reap the benefits of their studying. It took them 10 years of hardship to actually get where they wanted to. Now, we just had a, a question for Laura. So, so disgustingly true. I would have just, need, knowing that it's costing me more than just calling the restaurant because it was more convenient. I didn't have to keep the kids quiet whilst I made the call. Now, this, is, this alludes to what we're gonna be talking about later and in fact quite soon which is the socio-economic predispositions to someone relying on instant gratification there are reasons why you might have done that why a lot of other people will do that which are actually outside of their own awareness so now if this marshmallow experiment wasn't put into context we would have a random distribution of obesity so for example some kids um, in, no, no matter whether you're poor, rich, black, white, Asian, um, rich, poor, tall, short, would have the ability to delay gratification and some would want uh, instant gratification. But this isn't what we see. The limitations of these studies were later concluded that socio-economic background massively, massively predisposed the outcome of this experiment. So what we're actually seeing is those kids who come from a household who are potentially uh, a potentially wealthier household. The household uh, was potentially better educated. These kids were more likely to be able to delay their gratification. And this is not maladaptive. If you've got a poor child, or if you have a child who is very unaware of their future or their future presents itself with some sort of vagueness, or they, their, their future has a lot of uncertainty, which is very, very common, When it comes to children who are growing up in environments which are potentially poor, unstable, violent, they don't know what the future is going to hold. Now, if that's the case, it wouldn't be advantageous for them to actually wait until uh, until the teacher comes back in 15 minutes. Because by that time, metaphorically, the marshmallow might have completely disappeared. So let's go back to this. This isn't necessarily maladaptive for poor children to go for the instant gratification when the future is so uncertain. It makes sense to grab it whilst you have the chance. This is where we get the phrases, the early bird gets the worm, or strike whilst the iron's hot. Uh, They're both sayings that promote, basically, the instruction to get whilst the going's good. I think this relays a far clearer picture as to why we don't do what's good for us, because for many people, the future is bleak or uncertain. This is very, very clear when it comes to people who use food as coping mechanisms. If your current situation is so bleak, if it is so stressful, if you can't even look towards next week or next month, then why would you delay your gratification for them when you pride no value on the future? And anyone who's, so I saw, see Chev's watching I saw that Jordan and, and Frank were watching earlier. When it comes to boxing, for example, we used to have to delay gratification for months because we weren't able to eat the food that we wanted to we weren't able to go out with our friends when we wanted to because we wanted to fight but we know the reward of the victory would be far sweeter than the gratification that we might get from the occasional mcdonald's or something like that for example so it's a that's also a way that we can see uh, even in a period of, of, of three months how delayed gratification can work now when we look to predictors of obesity so why what would predispose a child to be obese, one is the the weight of their parents and the other is their income, the income of the parents, which is what we've already spoken about previous to this. So the story might actually go as such. When there's nothing to say for, there's no future reward for effort, when you don't perceive yourself as able to have a definitive impact on your life. And the reason why I mentioned this is because self esteem, low self esteem, also has a correlation to obesity. Why try? Enjoy, live for the moment. Now, also culture can have a predisposition to our our weight or to our eating habits. For example, a mother's BMI will also predict the, the child's BMI because the mother brings or the, the, the child is born into an environment that has a particular culture which will predispose that child when it comes to their weight. And we can see how the UK working environment and culture has massively shifted towards a hyper work output Americanized version of our say previous British environment, our weight has also increased and our activity has reduced. So I see that Naomi's also agreed that stress a lot of the time correlates to uh, weight gain or let's say that it at least correlates to a change in our behaviour. So your home culture and your nation's culture can significantly predispose obesity. The solution, anyone who has attempted to lose a significant amount of weight and please so lauren, I know that you've done fantastically well if you if you're still watching when it comes to when it comes to weight loss, please give me your feedback on this. Anyone who has attempted to lose a significant amount of weight knows that it is simply too hard to ask the nation to take to to basically control their own weight out of their own free will alone it 's impossible. I would say that the difficulty that I see a lot of individuals have experienced when it comes to their weight loss is far harder than A-levels. I saw kids turn up to school in their environment, kids who weren't even trying that hard, and they'll still get the A-levels they needed to, for example, get into university. But when it comes to weight loss, especially when you're trying to lose uh, a significant amount of weight on your own, it's far harder to do so. So if you can't expect the nation to achieve a certain amount of A-levels by the time they're 17, 18, I don't really understand how you can expect the nation to get down to a healthy weight on their own accord. But in my opinion, the solution would be to educate by the national curriculum. So to have in the national curriculum, some nutrition, home economics, which is where the term economics comes from and also to include an essential physical test to pass a year at school, i.e. to progress from year six to seven, you have to be able to run 400 meters non-stop, and you have to be able to do it by the end of the year. It might be that you only have to do it five times, but it's at least stimulating a culture uh, that thrives or prides itself on um, physical ability. So Lauren just said, uh, thank you for the resources to watch because you have the knowledge, you know what to do, We should do. Um, future in healthcare you want to raise no problem at all so what we're going to do is uh, I'll keep your question there Lauren and when it comes to the end I'll explain on a, on a I'll expand a little bit more on the few topics that I've got at the end or the few answers that I've got at the end so the other is to nationally in my opinion there needs to be a continued implementation of a fast food and sugar tax Money is a great incentive and to spend more money is also a good negative incentive. So if you have to spend more money to get your kick, hopefully, and I need to see the the data on this, but hopefully we can then see that people are less likely to eat food that's bad for them. But for those who are looking to lose weight and empower yourselves, kudos to you. I have some help. We offer online personal training and nutritional services, so please message me if you need some help. And I'll book you in for free consultation. But for now, we need to reverse the predispositions that I've previously mentioned. The first is dedicate yourself to an exercise regime that you look forward to. Start small and grow. It is not offensive, it is not shame. You do not shame yourself when you accept. That we are individuals who a lot of the time have very little self-control, and sometimes, a lot of the time, in fact, we need to do things in baby steps. It is not shameful to admit that. I, for one, admit that. When it comes to, for example, I've just started running. I did not thrash myself over five k and expect myself to get a certain time. I was like, I'm just going to go outside for thirty minutes. I'm just going to run as far as is comfortable for me. Baby steps. It might be for you guys that you start off by saying, "Look, I'm not the biggest fan of veg," but I've seen Joe Wicks or I've seen Jamie Oliver, and they come up with these nice recipes that look pretty good. I've never tried veg like that before. Let me try and eat it. Or for example, I'm just going to dedicate one day a week where I make my own dessert, and I'm not going to rely on the sweet cupboard. Or I'm going to spend this food shop, and I'm not going to make. Sure, I'm going to make sure that I do not go down this aisle because I know where the sweet food is. Now, what you'll find is that once you get one victory, the second will come a lot easier. So you start small and grow because even from a subconscious perspective uh, or the sub, when we look at the, the, the neurophysiology of that, you get a, a little burst of a feel-good hormone, be it dopamine or, or most of the time it will be dopamine when it comes to behaviour and reward. So what that means is you can then start to build a relationship with yourself where you can achieve something very small, you get a dopamine kick and that dopamine kick will then be the reward for the next time you do it and you can grow from there. That's the reason why exercise can be quite addictive, there's no actual uh, reason for running apart from just to physically exhaust yourself and to burn calories, et cetera. But the reason why it becomes so addictive is because we have that ingrained uh, response to exercise from an evolutionary perspective, which is that if I exert myself, I'm going to have to exert myself evolutionary to evolutionary-wise to get food or to find a mate. Therefore, I want a physiological kickback where I'm rewarded by that. So that's why uh, we have that relationship with exercise eventually, but it takes time to, to build that. Secondly, is educate yourself on nutrition via our blog, for example, and other online websites. When it comes to the invention of the internet, the internet should have revolutionized the amount of knowledge that we have. But unfortunately for a lot of people, it hasn't. For a lot of people, it means that they can catch up on people that they've never met before. They can view reality TV, etc. blah, blah, blah. Really, when you've got this much information at, the tips of your fingers you really really should be making advantage of this educate yourself on nutrition educate yourself on mental health as well take care of yourself mentality we provide counseling and life coaching so if you need help feel free to book in a free consultation but it is essential that we start to treat ourselves like someone who is of value without relying on food to do so get rid of the sweets cupboard, reward yourself with something that's other than food, respect yourself and start to look, at them, look in the mirror and say that you value yourself and you're going to treat yourself as someone that you value rather than, some, rather than, I don't know, you being almost non-existent and that you're just living in the moment the whole time. Try and take care of yourself, get your home in order, treat your home as a pillar of health, not a place to slump into an unconscious coma of food and alcohol a few times a week. Surround yourself by people who are on the same mission as you. This is imperatively important. You cannot do this alone. When it comes to us as human beings, we are extremely social creatures. We rely on the interaction between other members of our species. If the other member of our species is not doing what is right by us, we will a lot of the time still prioritise interaction with them for the simple reason that in that moment we regard human contact and company as uh, being more valuable than our own long-term healthcare. So make sure that you surround yourself by people who are on the same mission as you. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please write recommendations below for the next topic. What I'm going to do now is go through a few questions that uh, a few of you guys had. Um, So Lauren, what I want you to do if you're still watching, is just in a little bit more detail, just explain what you need help with, whether it's behaviour, modification of your behaviour, etc. And um we'll we'll go from there. Um and then Arwen, the same thing. I can just see that you've got your questions here. So you make comments about national curriculum. Uh it's still got to be cheaper to buy the kids a Mars bar when they've done well than it is to take them to the cinema, yeah. And get them while they're young. Cool. So let's talk about that after. So I've got a question from I'll summarise that in a second, Arwen. So, and yours got to just see that as well. So, Stuart, Stuart Dodsworth, uh, what are the consequences of being big and proud? This is about the culture that is starting to emerge, which is that you should be proud of the way you look, and you should be happy about the way you look, no matter what shape you are, and even going as far to say that the bigger the better, all right now this is the thing your feelings do matter but how much are your feelings worth do your feelings mean more to you than your life I would say that for an individual who can't control their actions and can't control their own behavior i.e they can't control how they treat themselves I would say that that individual actually a lot of the time doesn't value who they are a lot of the time that individual does not pride who they are i can't imagine an individual who prides their car treating it like a piece of piece of rubbish and uh, not putting the best fuel in it and not getting it giving it its mot so i think that that statement of being big and proud is full of hypocrisy uh, hypocriticism. but at the same side on the same at the same time shame does not help there are loads of studies which show that individuals who are shamed because of how they look or shamed because of how they speak or how they act it does not it reinforces the behavior a lot of the time rather than the opposite it reinforces the behavior and we have to take that into consideration i do not think that emotions are a good reliable source of motivation at least long term so when it comes to this concept of taking care of your feelings so your feelings don't hurt. Even when it comes to the opposite of of shame, that doesn't really help either. So I think the consequence to this is, and I think this is it actually, I think we need to reward behavior rather than rewarding the way that people look. And this won't be able people won't be able to do this on a micro level because human behavior, human behavior is predisposed and humans will always reward what, they, what their senses tell them or what that individual does for them. I. If they view that individual as attractive or as, as sexy or as a mate, then that is the way that they will value them and therefore that is the way that they will reward them. But that's not reliable for health because people shame themselves based on not fitting a certain archetype, so it won't work. So what we have to therefore do is reward behavior we have to reward those children, for example, arwen who at school bring in their fruit and veg and eat their fruit and veg. We need to reward those individuals who put in effort to exercise, not individuals who lift a certain amount of weight or those individuals who run a certain distance, but the individuals who put in a certain amount of effort into their health, that should be rewarded. I really do not agree with the concept or with the kind of, you know, big and proud I don't think it does anyone any good and the amount of individuals who I've spoken to and interviewed before who were big and have now lost it they have every single one of them without exception they've all admitted that that was a lie it was a coping mechanism and I think that the big and proud notion is a coping mechanism on a large scale. Nomi you asked um is there a risk factor of not acknowledging when you're obese and I'd say that yeah that's that's the case, without a doubt. When it comes to not acknowledging or not having an emotional connection to a negative outcome, it means that you've got no fuel in the engine to get you off the start. There's two forms of motivation that are mentioned in NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. It's almost a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. And that is that you have your away motivation, which is where you're running from, and you've got your towards motivation, which is where you're running to. Now. If you never are able to to look in the mirror and say that i not I don't like where I am at the moment, then you have no away motivation. Away motivation is very powerful, it gets you moving. It's your fight, flight, your fear mechanism, your anxiety mechanism. It at least gets you moving to start, and then you can get the momentum and start looking towards the future. So I think there is a danger there. A lot of the time as well, the conscious mind will will censor the unconscious mind. The unconscious mind is unhappy. It's dissatisfied and it wants to speak out a lot of the time saying that I'm not happy with the way I look, I need to change. But the conscious mind will censor it for that instant, or the conscious mind will be censored because it wants to protect itself emotionally. A lot of the time, one pillar of of advice that I would give is don't lie to yourself. People spend all day lying to themselves, people spend their whole life. Lying to themselves that they they were happy in a relationship but they weren't. They'll spend their whole lives lying to themselves that they were happy at a job and they just weren't, because the emotional consequences or they feel the emotional consequences that they attribute to change is so great that it will keep them where they are and it'll keep them stuck. So I think that the biggest advice that I could give in that situation is be completely honest with yourself. And we all know that if we are in a loving relationship with other people or ourselves that we're honest to them because we trust them and we value their ability to hold, to handle the truth. And I think that we should hold ourselves accountable to the same thing. Now, Laura, let's have a look. Um, you had a question. So you said, do you know what I think? Do you know what I think it's more the mental health side of things that I need to address because I don't claim to know it all but have a decent amount of... not Yeah, 100%, right? So you have to be able to also realise that your conscious mind and your emotional mind, a lot of times, two different things. But Steve Peterson or Steve Peters in The Chimp Paradox explained this beautifully. We have the side of us which is human and knowledgeable and sophisticated and does what's best for us, but we also have the side of us which is the chimp. In a Freudian or Jungian psychology, this chimp might be called The id which is the dark self, the shadow self, the aggressive, primitive self. And it's very, very important that we learn to look inwards and talk to ourselves inwardly and a bit, and how to gain that ability to counsel ourselves. Uh, Steve Peters in The Chimp Paradox says that if you put that chimp in a cage and tell it to shut up, it will get louder and louder and louder until it will just break you. And the conscious mind has to listen and it could even break the conscious mind. I think that we need, need to take time to learn to counsel ourselves and speak to ourselves on an honest level. Mental health is, there's no quick fix to mental health. Even the, I've just finished reading a book by Carl Jung, who is, he was he's had a brilliant mind. He was one of the founding fathers of psychology. And f- further and further into his career, he went f- deeper and deeper into introspection. He even said that science will show you the average of a population, but it will never know, it will never tell you who an individual is. And I think we all owe it to ourselves to go deep into ourselves and fully try and understand who we are, whether that comes to comes down to reading, whether that comes down to seeing a counselor or a life coach or something like that. I think we need to spend time learning who we are. And once there's a lovely metaphor um, that was used by Freud, who's the founding father of psychology. And that is that the unconscious mind is darkness and it requires the conscious mind, i.e. the ego or the yeah basically the ego to shine light on the unconscious mind to fix its ailments and i think it's important that we that we do that we have to search deep into ourselves for the answers but a question from you gops could we not say that depression forming obesity for the sense of i suffer through suffering i create comfort discomfort because attachment this attachment becomes a sense of peace of yeah 100 percent Absolutely, but it's—I don't think it is the same type of escape that a lot of people think that it is. A lot of people think that bad behaviour or, or, or behaviour that doesn't serve us well is an escape from our current situation. But I'd say that you're going deeper into your unconscious self by doing so. It'll be the equivalent of you doing something that you regret or doing something wrong, and you're crying, and your mother gives you a big hug and tells you everything. Is going to be okay you are not conscious and you are not able at that point in time if essentially you are going to a locus outside of your control to subdue you and that's what happens i think when people turn to alcohol or or, or bad food or they just want to go to bed they want to become unconscious so i completely understand but i, I what, what you're saying gops but i would say that the I comes from I would uh, in, I would interpret I as being greater than the unconscious stupor that a lot of people put themselves into. So I'd say that it is important to realise I, and and to know thyself before you actually try and abandon it in in ego death or in uh, going higher than the I. Because I think that what this is the way that I will describe it now, when it comes to what you just said, Gops, is that when you want to go into unconsciousness you're nothing when you're, you're abandoning your locus of control when it comes to you going to unconscious you're abandoning your locus, locus of control you're abandoning who you are an elevation above that would be Iness. this is who i am i'm asserting myself on the world and then going higher than that would be saying that i am everything i am very aware of everything i'm hyper aware i'm hyper conscious so i'd say yeah, after <laughs> expanded on that a little bit. That's that. That's what. That's what I would say. And uh, then we've got Arwin. So, Arwin, how do you generate the energy to begin the cycle of change when you're physically and or emotionally exhausted? Um, that is when it is important, in my opinion, Arwin, to have small wins. Very, 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 very small wins. It's very. I would. Picture it almost like this: if you're in the abyss and you're extremely fatigued, and all you see is darkness and all you see is a, is a lack of hope. Picture it as being at the bottom of a swimming pool. You just need one rudder on that ladder to start. You don't need to swim so fast up that you could jump out of the pool without a ladder. You just need one hand on that ladder, one rung on the ladder, and then you just go from there. So. Physical exhaustion. You might say that it, you know you could interpret that as being in the terms of that you're you you feel like you need that sweet because you haven't got the energy or you don't want to exercise. I completely understand that, but I think that if you can if you can take that step out of bed in the morning, if you can take your shoes off at the end of the day, there you should have just even the smallest amount of control to enable you to do something. And that might be, and I'm being serious, I've done this before with a lot of clients, I've just asked them to stand outside for five minutes after work. Stand outside for five minutes after work. Standing outside for five minutes might be then walking for five minutes, walking for five minutes might be then walking for 15 minutes, then walking for 30 minutes, an hour, then they can start running for 15 minutes. All these little things. I am not expecting anyone when it comes to controlling their health to create a constant conscious experience of health it has to become a habit. You do not think about the emotional attachments to brushing your teeth or combing your hair or washing your face because it becomes a habit. And I think it's very important that we strive for that when it comes to health as well. So start small and grow from there. So thank you so much for uh, all of the fantastic fantastic questions. I really enjoyed this. Well, I think I'm going to do this more often. Uh, So even when we are out of quarantine and I have Uh, less time I will make more time to do things like this because this was really fun thank you so much for joining I will let you guys all know the next time that I create a live I might keep it on a on a Sunday because Sunday seems to be a good time for everyone thank you for watching take care and I will see you all soon